we now come to Dr. Alana Bruce, who originally began her, her university life studying pure mathematics and somehow found herself in medicine and since graduating has sometimes felt lost but takes comfort in the fact that she can always fall back on tuning an entire xylophone of beer bottles to play Coldplay's The Scientist. Alana. One of my all-time greatest fears is to invent something groundbreaking, something world-changing, something unthinkably genius, and then die before I could gain recognition for it. Of course, there is very little risk of this happening. A, because I like to think that in today's democratic society, we are far more open-minded and accepting of radical ideas. And B, I'm not that intelligent. But history is littered with examples of great people who have discovered great things and not lived to bask in the glory of their contribution. To me, these stories are indeed tragedies. And I would like to share with you one particular tragedy, and that is the tale of Dr Ignaz Semmelweis. This is a elaborate story of a simple man with a simple project that's, that changed the course of modern medicine. Our hero comes from humble beginnings, stumbles upon a problem, makes a discovery that he feels holds the potential to save the world, and then in true tragic form, there is a twist of fate, our hero falls from grace, goes mad and dies. I shall set the scene for our tragedy. The 19th century was a time of great medical discovery and gave rise to, the, to several fundamental ideas which transformed medicine from something resembling witchcraft to something resembling science. Discoveries of the 19th century included general anaesthesia, cell theory and germ theory, which revolutionised the way disease was understood. However, in the early 19th century, the medical world still subscribed to the humour theory. That is, that, the Ill that illness resulted from an imbalance, imbalance of the four humours in the body, which gave rise to what was termed a dyscrasia, for which the logical treatment was, of course, bloodletting. Disease was spontaneous and individual, each, as each dyscrasia was a result of an, an imbalance particular to the sufferer, and the role of the medical profession was to identify the patient's unique situation on a case-by-case -case basis. Whilst this is a wonderfully extreme practice of patient-centred care, it resulted in a lack of insight into the possibility that disease could spread and that there was something being spread and something doing the spreading. As you can see, there was no such idea as infection and there was no such thing as public health. Now to introduce our hero. Ignaz Philipp Semmelweis was born in Budapest in 1818, the fifth of ten children of a prosperous grocer. He moved to Vienna to study law in 1837, similar to myself and changing to study medicine, eventually finishing his degree in 1844. After apparently missing out on a position in internal medicine, he decided to specialise in obstetrics and was appointed the role of assistant to the professor of the first obstetric clinic of the Vienna General Hospital. He was what we would call today an obstetrics registrar. His duties were to examine patients each morning before the professor's ward rounds, supervise difficult deliveries, teach students of, teach students of obstetrics and to be a clerk of records. The 19th century saw a great demographic shift towards dense urban living, with people moving in large numbers from villages to the cities. Due to poverty, obstetric hospitals, or 
as they were called, lying in hospitals, arose as a means of providing welfare to mothers and babies and also served as a training hospital for doctors and midwives. The women that attended these clinics were generally underprivileged women seeking free perinatal care um, and through attending these clinics were also entitled to childcare benefits. The obstetrics department of Vienna General Hospital consisted of two clinics. The first clinic, which was run by obstetricians and dedicated to research and teaching of doctors, and the second clinic was run by midwives and dedicated to their training. These clinics shared patient admissions by alternating days. At this time, perinatal infection, or otherwise referred to as purpural, coming from the word purpurium, which is the perinatal period, or childbed fever, was a common occurrence. Women would become unwell shortly after labour and die within a few days to weeks of delivery. At the time of Semmelweis's appointment, there was a recognised difference between the risk of developing such a disease being greater if attending the first clinic rather than the second clinic. And the labouring women knew this. Semmelweis, in his writing, states that women would go to great lengths to try and avoid being admitted to the first, to the obstetrician's clinic, and describes women begging on their hands and knees, or alternatively trying to orchestrate giving birth on the streets en route to the hospital in attempt to avoid entry to the first clinic. The street births, too, were noted to have a lower incidence of purple fever. So our hero's discovery. Semmelweis was very troubled by the number of deaths from purple fever that he was witnessing and furthermore distressed by the reality that this was obviously more common in his clinic and began to look further into the nature of the problem. In true scientific method, he began to consider and investigate the differences between the two clinics, examining all po possible distinguishing factors that could potentially account for the differences in the incidence of purple fever. In terms of population, the women were assigned to the two clinics randomly. He excluded factors such as overcrowding, as the second clinic was always more crowded, and he eliminated, he eliminated other important factors, such as climate and religion. <laughs> the populations were randomised. The intervention, including treatments, techniques and instruments, were consistent across each treatment group. The only difference was the practitioners. The first clinic as a medical teaching hospital was staffed by obstetricians, obstetric trainees and medical students who spent a portion of their day attending to labouring women and the other portion of their day involved in research. This included the dissection of cadavers of women who had died in childbirth, most of whom as a result of purple fever. Semmelweis's eureka moment occurred in 1847 following the death, death of his good friend Jacob Koletska, who was accidentally poked by a medical student wielding a scalpel, a scalpel during a post-mortem examination and died shortly after. His autopsy showed a similar pathology to those women who had died of purple fever. A light bulb went off in Semmelweis's head that had recently been invented and he isolated the culprit, doctor's hands. Semmelweis reasoned that there must be some form of cadaverous particles, a contagion, spread by the hands of medical personnel to labouring women, and this was somehow the cause of purple fever. And so he introduced hand washing. His solution was a solution of chlorinated lime used in today's common household bleach and, insist and instituted a policy of hand washing for all doctors and students. He also collected data and after previously noting an average difference of 6% in mortality rate between the two clinics, he demonstrated a change in mortality rate following the, introduction, following the introduction of 
of hand washing. In the first few months following this, uh, the mortality rate at the first clinic dropped by 90% to become comparable to the rate at the second clinic. Semmelweis also began washing instruments used for, for delivery, which practically limited the rates of purple fever to close to zero. Our hero proved that purple fever was contagious, that it was spread between people, that it was spread by people, particularly by doctors, and that the solution was hand washing. In 1847, word of Semmelweis's work spread around Europe with letters and reports written by colleagues and students and swayed a few notable medical practitioners and hospital directors and was published in a number of medical journals, including The Lancet. However, in the early days, there was little that Semmelweis actually published on his own and hence his findings were not formally and convincingly documented. So why did our hero die uncelebrated? Where did he go wrong? Why isn't Semmelweis a household name? From where came the fall from grace? Whilst so unbelievably obvious to us, this discovery was not applauded or at the very least acknowledged by the majority of the medical fraternity. There are a number of reasons for this. Firstly, Semmelweis could not offer any specific explanation for his findings. There was this idea of a contagion, but he had little proof of the nature of its existence. Secondly, to postulate that there was only one cause for the disease and that it was simply cleanliness was thought to be oversimplified and silly. And finally, his discovery offended the medical profession in its suggestion that doctors were responsible for the deaths of these women and the additional suggestion that gentlemen should be told to wash their hands. He was also a Hungarian and at the time student riots had developed in Vienna and in Hungary, which led to a revolution in Hungary. His supervisor, who was, not only, who, who was not only set offside by Semmelweis's discovery, was also a staunch old-school Austrian. At the completion of Semmelweis's contract, he was not rehired and his subsequent petition to become a private lecturer was also denied. Semmelweis published a number of articles in the late 1850s and then a book in 1861 providing evidence for his theory titled The Etiology, Concept and Prophylaxis of Childbed Fever. His publications were met with further refutations and the English, who had been researching childbed fever and cholera, claimed that they had already established the contagion theory and said that Semmelweis had not contributed anything new. Semmelweis was awfully upset at the slow uptake of his ideas and the fact that they were not integrated into the then-evolving understanding of this disease. His ideas were also publicly refuted by notable physicians and scientists, one of whom, Dr Rudolf Verkow of the, or Verkov of the Verkov Node and Triad, who claimed that the supposed contagion that Semmelweis was talking about was unreasonably small and wrote, it seems improbable that enough infective matter or vapour could be secluded around fingernails to kill a patient. In 1861... Semmelweis began suffering from symptoms of depression and anxiety. However, he was still consumed with the issue of purple fever. It was at this time that Semmelweis lashed out against his critics in open letters, denouncing them as irresponsible murders or ignoramuses. He was bitter and angry and sad and disappointed and humiliated and then began to drink. In an attempt to explain the nature of this behavioural change, some have suggested Semmelweis suffered from mental illness, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, and others suggested tertiary syphilis, which is always an excuse for anything a bit mad, um, which was apparently common amongst obstetricians at the time, 
or extremely early onset Alzheimer's disease. In 1865, following a disintegration in his mood and behaviour, Semmelweis was taken to a mental asylum under false pretenses by a colleague and admitted there. He attempted to leave. He was put in a straitjacket, treated with regular treatments of dousing in cold water and castor oil laxatives and was severely beaten. He died two weeks later at age 47 from sepsis due to a gangrenous wound that he had acquired from a beating. Autopsy revealed extensive internal injuries and the cause of death noted as pyema, blood poisoning. A tragic end to a hopeful story. But the story continues with his successes. Semmelweis's proof of a contagion gave rise to the concept of infection. The search began for the contagion and soon enough, Louis Pasteur, along with other scientists, developed germ theory. Purple fever, now known as arising from colonisation infection by the bacteria Streptococcus pyogenes, was one of two main causes of maternal mortality, the other being haemorrhage. The advent of germ theory led to the discovery of antibiotics and today death from purple fever is mostly unheard of. And if you go into any hospital these days, you have to wash your hands before and after you do anything and make sure the infection control manager is not lurking behind a curtain trying to catch you out. I thought I'd now just pay a little tribute to um, Ignaz Semmelweis with a song. Feel free to sing along with me because you'll recognise the chorus. Erin. Semmelweis, Semmelweis, every morning you greet me. Who'd have thought that we ought to wash our hands before eating? Semmelweis, Semmelweis, every day I salute you. Squirt the soap, dry and hope that the man making my lunch has done the same thing. Chlorine and limestone stop the bugs to grow, spread and flow forever. Semmelweis, Semmelweis, thank you for your endeavour. Semmelweis, Semmelweis, bless Howard Florey forever. 